0: 3.30 a.m. is a strange time on the road. The world is dark and silent. Deer, raccoons, and groundhogs have inched their way onto the roadside to graze with confidence now that the noise and danger of traffic has well and truly died down. Businesses are closed and dark. Homes are all locked up and their residents tucked in tight. Most of the people I pass on the highway are either other truck drivers or have a story to tell. Why are you out right now? I wanna ask them. Occasionally, I will peek into their car windows. Their faces are nearly never at ease. Nothing good happens at 3.30 a.m. It is a troublesome time. Almost no one is out at 3.30 a.m., and so the roads are pretty empty. It is a time of day that is trapped between night and morning, so it's hard to tell whether the folks you do occasionally pass are out very late or up very early. I think about them a lot as I coast down a vacant highway, and sometimes I can't help but wonder if this is what it's like to be a ghost. It is a suspicious time. Tonight is like this. Gliding down the road, my thoughts begin to wander until I notice something strange in the highway just before it goes under my wheels. My heart stops. Oh, God, what have I done? A deer. It has to be a deer. Oh, how awful. I'll, I'll call animal control. I won't let it suffer. It's going to be okay. There's blood all over the highway. In the distance, a car is idling against the guardrail. Blood and glass surrounding it like glittering macabre confetti. This was no deer. I stopped the truck. Something terrible has happened. There should be screaming. There should be people looking for help. A a 911 call in progress. Something. Seeing a disaster float in the vacuum of silence is almost supernatural. It is a terrifying time. There must have been an accident. There is clothing stacked near the blood-soaked bits of road. The body is in pieces. This is all wrong. How can there be no one? I get out of the truck and run, looking for others, survivors, injured parties, other casualties, anything. But they don't exist. I no longer have to wonder. This is... What it's like to be a ghost. Floating above the tragedy in a glow of headlights, unable to hear the screams, unable to decode the madness, knowing something isn't right but not being able to describe it, I'm a ghost on the highway, witnessing the impossible. It is an unexplainable time. I have to snap out of it. I stumble back to the truck and call 911. How do I tell them what I'm seeing? How do you describe wrong? intangible terms I hear the click of an operator answering and I know I have to try I'm Holly I'm Leslie and
1: we we would would be be dead. dead
0: Hey, Holly. Hey, Beans. This is our first week with our new microphones. (gasps) How do we sound? Hopefully fantastic. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. Ooh, (laughs) yes. Mm.
0: (laughs) There may be hiccups. We don't know. We've never worked with them before. I hope I don't have hiccups. Oh, I hope you don't have real hiccups. That would be terrible. Oh, it would be terrible. We'd have to stop. (laughs) This is very exciting. So a big thank you goes out to all of our patrons for supporting us with your donations. We were able to finance a significant upgrade to our sound and make our lovely editor's job a whole lot easier. So supporting We Would Be Dead on Patreon will bring you immediate results and improvements. Yay. So good. We quite literally put your money where our mouth is. Oh. You like that? I do. (laughs) If you want to be part of this team, head on over to Patreon and leave us a little monthly donation. For just a few dollars a month, you will be able to help us expand and grow, get a personalized on-air toast, access to our live campfire story event, which we should figure out soon. Yeah. (laughs) Access to our additional monthly podcast, 30-minute horror movies, discounts on our merchandise, and much more. It truly does make you one of the cool kids. We
1: swear. Right? I swear sometimes, yeah. Fuck, I swear all the time.
0: (laughs) Fuck yeah, we do. Yeah, man. <laughs> if you're thinking, man, I love we would be dead, but money is tight right now, What well, with the pandemic and everything, well, don't despair. There are other ways you can help out. First, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. Five stars. Five stars. That's all you can do. Five, not four. Just, yeah. just five. <laughs> Those ratings and reviews really help get the podcast noticed and spread the good word. Plus, if you haven't heard, they are directly related to the elasticity of our skin. And if we're going to eventually see you all live, we would very much like to look as radiant as possible. Yeah, I have a wedding coming up, guys. My skin has to look perfect. Flawless. You need to help Leslie out. Please. I mean, she's already perfect. You need to get her to like a 15 out of 10. That's all I'm asking. It's not much to ask. It's not. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> validation keeps us young. I'm not saying that we're validation vampires, but I'm also not saying that we're not. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you need an even simpler way to show us a little support, you can just share anything we post, become active in our Facebook group, or just share a little screenshot of your favorite episode as you listen. Every single little bit helps. And the more momentum we have, the more content we can make for you. Great. We just planned a lot and extra stuff. So. We did. You guys are in for like a really cool couple months. I'm excited. About I'm jazzed. It. I love everything we have coming up. We will be deciding on a date for this month's live campfire event this week. Yep. Gotta make that happen. <laughs> and we should have the results. Do we have the results from our
1: patron poll for the 30 minute horror movie yet? Or we no? We do. We yes. do. What are we doing? We are going to do Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Yay! <laughs> it's like a kung fu action horror musical. <laughs> it's so good. I've already watched it like years ago. Mm -hmm. Thank you
0: to my high school pal Dave Katz for suggesting it in our feed.
1: (laughs) I had never heard of it, and Leslie was really excited to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, I think Adam and I watched that.
0: (laughs) That sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we're cooking up some fun video content, so keep your eyes on our YouTube channel and our TikTok account for that. Um, And I think that is everything for this week. Great. Leslie, do you have anything to add? Uh, Not this week, no. Maybe, Maybe next time. Maybe next time. We have Leslie scheduled to do a whole episode soon. Just about updates (laughs) and (laughs) And announcements. No, what's funny is that you're going to do everything but the updates and announcements. That's true. It's still going to be me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's fine. I just don't have a lot to say. (laughs) Okay, then. On with the show. Ooh, boy. We have quite a case on our hands this week. While it has been technically listed as closed, the victim's family are not really in agreement with the police on the resolution and have, as none of us would have if our daughter or sister had been quite possibly murdered, they have not been quiet about the matter. This case has seen a fair amount of media coverage since it happened in 2011, and even more since the Freedom of Information Act made a lot of its documents readily available. This week, we are talking about the tragic death of Jalea Davis. Now, before we begin, I'm going to briefly discuss my sources this week. First, Anyone who is familiar with this case, and if you love true crime, you very well might be, you will undoubtedly be wondering if I have listened to the podcast series devoted entirely to it, Mile Marker 181. And yes, I have. I listened to it when it first came out before I had done any of my own research. For reasons I do not think are my place to discuss, Julia's mother Kim has had a falling out with Emily Nestor who created this podcast and has since pulled any and all of her support from it. Kim has been very vocal about this. You can look into the matter more if you are so inclined. I just don't feel like it's our place to talk about it on air. Okay. I'm not here to disparage a fellow podcaster or a victim's grieving mother. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm not using Mile Marker 181 or its information as a source today. Officially, the Davis family would prefer you to get your information from the Facebook page, Justice for Jalea, which is where I got nearly all of my information today. Kim is very active. She um, will respond to a lot of comments. She's posted everything she's gotten from the case, all the murder scene photos or whatever scene photos you want to decide in the end. But, like, she is very open with all of her information. So, And all the documents, like every interview with the police, if you want to read more, there is more to read, and that's where you should get it. A great many of their, like I said, legal documents are posted there. Kim has also been on numerous media outlets, and I'll link the most informative ones I can find in our show notes. So you can hear her directly talk about it as much as you would like, and I recommend that you do so. That being said, Mile Marker 181 does contain a great many interviews with Kim and Julia's sister, Toby. And I do find them worthwhile, especially in episodes where they describe what Julia was like in life. When researching a case, if we don't try to get to know the parties involved a little bit, I feel like we're removing the humanity from the case.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's not what we've set out to do. Absolutely. I think not. we yeah. do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. So I understand that police officers and medical examiners have to divorce themselves from such things, but we're not them. And so we should always remember that we are talking about real people with families and lives. Who left a deep and unmendable gash in the world when they were taken from it? I always recommend you go off and explore cases we cover on your own and armed with this knowledge, you can do that however you see fit. Like, cover all my bases?
1: I think you did. Okay. I feel good about it. We feel safe. We feel yeah. good proceeding. No trolls this week. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: Uh, we don't talk about our altercations on air, but no. <laughs> we had our first. We did it. Oh, man. We've arrived. <laughs> She's probably very upset about something. Totally fine. We're good. Yeah. You're an amazing genius <laughs> who
1: is a much better talker than I am. So. <laughs> well, you know, it's just nice. Just I like when people listen to our podcast. Just okay. listen. Okay. Yeah, that's
0: key. All right. So on the very, very early morning of November 19th, 2011, three 911 calls came in from people on Interstate 77 near mile marker 181 in Williamstown, West Virginia. Three different citizens reported seeing a mangled body in the middle of the highway and a silver car crashed into the guardrail a little bit farther down the road. According to reports, the body was in pieces and the car was idling with the dome light on. No other people had been discovered on the scene. And so we're going to do something that we haven't done before, and we're going to read you the full transcript of the 911 calls. They are as follows. The first call came in at 3.41 a.m., and this says it was on Channel 3, if that makes a difference for anyone. So here we go. 911, what is your emergency? Yeah, I'm calling about a car that's broke down on 77 North.
1: Okay, where at on I-77?
0: On the 181 or so. The lights are on, it's up against the guardrails. Something's going on, but I couldn't see anybody. It's pretty cold out, so I don't know what's going on over there.
1: Can you give me a vehicle description, like red car or a blue truck? Pardon me? Can you give me a vehicle description, like a red car, blue truck? All I know,
0: it's a car. He had his lights on. He's right by the car. He's up against the guardrail, so there's something going on over there. But I couldn't see anybody standing around. So, you know, the car or the people, I couldn't see. But the lights are on in the car, so something's going on over there.
1: Can I have your name, sir? Can I have your name? End of recording.
0: Kind of cryptic. Okay, so the second phone call came in at 3.48 a.m., and it goes like this. Stay in the vehicle. I'm going to keep the doors locked just stay.
1: 911, what is your emergency? Sir, I'm at
0: the 181.6 mile marker, northbound on I-77. I cannot make a confirmation of this right now. I'm walking back. I think i just seen a human being lying dead on the highway, sir.
1: Okay, and you walked away from the vehicle? I'm getting out of my vehicle, and I'm walking back where I seen the person. And you think you're at 181? 181
0: mile marker, sir. I haven't confirmed it yet. Okay, what's your name, sir? My name is blank. We drove by and, you know, it's dark and you can't see. But I'm just pretty sure it might have been a
1: person. Gosh, I I really don't want to walk back here. You know what I'm saying. I understand what you're saying. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, sir, you don't have to. Stay where you are and I'll have somebody come up there. I'm getting closer to it. I'm hoping it's a deer, sir. I
0: really am, but I'm pretty sure I saw what I saw. Oh, man. In fact, here's some other people. I don't know if you're getting more phone calls. Two other guys just stopped down here at the bottom of the hill. Oh, man. Okay, sir, do you know your cell phone number? Is it blank? I'm getting closer to it. Oh, man, I'm hoping it's a deer. I'm hoping. I can't. I got my boy.
1: In any way, when hit, did you pull alongside the guardrail, sir?
0: Yes, I'm pulled alongside the guardrail. There is a chemical tanker truck that just pulled over. I'm getting closer to it. There is a semi-tanker truck that's coming at me right now. No, stay over here, truck driver. Stay over here. Stay over here. Oh, my gosh. I can't get over here in traffic. Yes, sir. Confirmation. Human body. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to check if this person
1: is still alive or breathing?
0: Sir, there is parts of him. I can't.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Sir... Turn around, don't look at him. Okay, turn around and don't look at him.
0: Oh, my God, sir. Sir, you need to hurry up and get people here,
1: please. Okay, we got people on the way. Out to you, sir. Can I start stopping traffic? This might be a crime scene, right? Do you have a flashlight? I don't want you getting hit.
0: Yes, I do. No, no, another person just hit him. Oh, my God. If you can get the county sheriff department here as soon as possible, sir.
1: Sheriff department is on the way. So is the fire department and an ambulance.
0: Okay, there is a tanker driver who just
1: pulled over in front of me. There is a vehicle. I can't. Can anybody turn their hazards lights on? Put as much light on that situation as you can, okay?
0: Well, most of us are already past it, sir. I'm getting kind of like, sir, this is a crime scene. I'm just about positive. I see the... This is a crime scene, sir. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. This is unreal. This is unreal. This is unreal. Sir, you said you had your son with you? Yes, my son is with me. This is kind of like a crime scene. He's not out there walking
1: around with you.
0: Blank. See his shirt? There's his head and skull right there. I see it. Oh, oh, oh. Is the head not attached to the body? No, sir. Part of the head is right over there. I need you to get, get over to the right. Over to the right. Make sure that you tell him. The sheriff's department is here. He's getting ready to block both lanes, sir.
1: Okay, sir. You go ahead and talk to that deputy.
0: Yes, sir, thank you, sir.: Yes,
1: sir. Uh, that's
0: the end of that recording. Um, so <gasps> yeah. <gasps> the gentleman who made that call had actually struck the body with his truck. Oh God. And then he watched another truck strike the body. Because at that time of day, there's not a lot of cars on the road. It's mm-hmm. mostly just like delivery trucks and stuff. So that's what would we'll be passing. So this was the last conversation, and it occurred at 3:52 a.m. on channel 2.
1: 911. What's your emergency? Has anybody called in on a—it's it's in Wood County on the
0: Interstate 182, right before 182. Looks like somebody busted a deer. They got a— I'm sorry, what? It's it's 182, northbound, Interstate 77. It, it looks like somebody hit a deer. There's a couple of trucks on the side keeping people away from the deer. There's a car
1: by the guardrail. I don't know if anybody— Okay, it's around the 182? Yes, right before the 182 northbound. Okay, we've got deputies on scene out there, sir.
0: okay. I just went by and there wasn't anyone, so I just thought I'd call. Okay. Thank you. End of recording. So those are pretty intense. Wow. Yeah. Soon after the third phone call was made, which is what I can surmise just from the 911 calls, she said deputies were on the scene, but he said he didn't see anyone. Yeah. So I'm assuming that they were on the way when okay. he called, and then they probably arrived shortly thereafter. The police then arrived on the scene to discover something very gruesome. It was just as it had been reported— in the middle of the highway was the body of a young woman, though everyone tended to say she was a man. I think that's just because some people say he, mm-hmm. like, as their default. Right. I don't think that they necessarily were like, that looks like a dude. I think it was just a default, and that's the pronoun they use. She was lying on her stomach with her hands raised above her head. The woman was naked from the waist up, which if she was facing down and shirtless, that also might have led people to believe she was a man, because men take off their shirt. hmm and was mostly decapitated. I hate that phrasing, but it's the best way I can put it because her head was kind of cut in three quarters. It wasn't, like, severed at the neck. It was severed, like, at the jawline or something. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Slightly farther back on the road was a section of bloodied guardrails, a bloodied white jacket, shirt, and bra hung neatly over the guardrail, and then the missing portion of the woman's head. Mm. Three-tenths of a mile up the road was a silver 2006 Kia Optima, which is a mid-sized sedan, and it was idling against the guardrail, like it had come to a stop pushed up against the guardrail. The Kia still had the keys in the ignition, obviously, if it was on. All the doors were locked, and the dome light was on. The windshield had a large series of cracks on the passenger side where it had clearly made some sort of impact. Later, the police would say that it looked like the impact came from the inside of the car. And the passenger side front window was completely broken out. Blood pooled on the roof and the trunk of the car, and frost had settled around it, demonstrating that it was still warm at the time of discovery. Whatever this was, it had just happened. Blocking off part of the highway and getting as much light as possible onto the scene, police were able to surmise that the body was most likely the car's owner, 20-year-old Julia Davis. And minutes into their investigation, Julia's sister and then subsequently her mother arrived on the scene. Julia's mother, Kim, was able to identify the body, but of course medical examiners would have to go on to do this beyond a shadow of a doubt, which they did shortly after through dental workers' records because the condition of the body was as such that they were like, well, we're going to have to confirm it with tests. Mm -hmm. This is more than any mother should have to handle. It's crazy to think of this. I can't imagine. It's the worst thing. I can't imagine anything worse than that. Arriving to find little white sheet-covered lumps in the highway, which is how Kim describes them, only to have it revealed that they are your eldest daughter, I, I don't think you can ever totally recover from that. No, because she obviously saw the whole body. Yeah, eventually.
1: Right. Like when
0: she said when she drove up, she saw that they because like there are, at one point there were photos that showed like the draped bodies mm-hmm. and they're not, Available online right now, which is probably just as good. You don't need to see that. But yeah, they were like covered in there. And then there was like blood smears on the highway and blood smears on the guardrail. It was like a really gruesome scene. <sighs> and right away, there were things about the scene that Kim like couldn't wrap her brain around. Aside from like, what on earth happened to her baby? Why was she topless? And who had neatly set her clothing out on the guardrail? Why was Julia out of the car? Was anyone else in the car? If she had been driving, why had she been ejected from the passenger seat?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: These are all valid questions, and there still really aren't answers to some of them. Julia had left the house at 5 p.m. the previous evening to spend the night with her friends, but clearly something had gone dramatically wrong. So what happened? Well, I hate to say this, but even by the end of this episode, you may not know. I can't say with confidence that I know, and I've read all the evidence— To explore this case, we will lay out an outline of the events as they have been confirmed to have happened that night and then head into the unconfirmed territory. Mm -hmm. But first, let's get to know Jalea a little bit. Jalea Rose Davis was born on November second, 1991 to mother Kimberly Nolan Davis in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Leslie, why don't you set the scene and give us a little info about
1: 1991? Sure. Could use a little breath of fresh air. All right. So in 1991, Seinfeld debuts on NBC. And Mm. puffy shirts are now the look. Oh, man. The U.S. minimum wage went from $3.80 to $4.25. Ring-a-ding-ding. Wow. Terminator 2 was released, and the term Hasta la Vista, baby, is coined. Johnny Carson announced he would retire from The Tonight Show this year. Mm. Dinosaurs premieres on ABC, and that was one of my favorite shows next to Fraggle Rock.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I liked Mm -hmm. them both, too. Yeah. That annoying little baby.
1: Oh. <laughs> you remember the the weed episode? No. There's I'll send you the link to Please that. Do. That's on YouTube.
0: We'll put that somewhere in our socials. They were
1: clearly all high on. <laughs> really? Marijuana. Yeah. I love that. Kentucky Fried Chicken officially changed their name to KFC. Really? It's not Kentucky Fried Chicken? Well, it is, but they changed it to KFC, like now it's just KF. I didn't realize yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You learn something new every day. Yep. Pogs were the top-selling holiday <gasps> gift of 1991.
0: Pogs. I never realized what the point of them were, but the boys in my grade were, like, pretty oh heavy gosh. into
1: them. Yeah, I loved them. I had I had some heavy, like, oh, what was it called? Slammer the, guys. The slammers, yeah. yeah a, I don't know. I had some nice ones. Ooh. When we would vacation to Cape May, mm. I would always win the Pogs at the arcade. That was, like, a big thing. Nice. Adam and I would get so excited. <laughs> Super Nintendo came out. Whitney Houston sings her Forever Famous Star Spangled Banner at the Tampa Stadium for Super Bowl twenty-five. Oh, man. Mullets were considered sexy at this point. Yeah, mullet. <laughs> and uh, Full House aired their 100th episode this year. A very important milestone for you. It was the one with <laughs> Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky's twins when they were born. Oh, man. Yeah. Um. So, and... <laughs> I used to tell time by Full House episodes. That's how obsessed I was. Oh, no. So if we were, say, since I brought up Cape May, if we were traveling to Cape May, Mm -hmm. it was, I'd be like, how much longer? And they would say, I used to call the show Michelle, the Michelle show. (laughs) 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 And so they say, it's three before Michelle's left. So I would know that it was two hours.
0: Oh, we did that with like Spongebob's with the kids. Yeah.
1: But I used to yeah. get so mad. I'd be like, "It would go faster if I could watch Michelle." Oh man, <laughs> you loved your Michelle. And then, lastly, I have a little game for us. Oh, okay. okay. So I picked out some of the top songs of 1991. Oh man. And I'm going to sing them for you, oh, and you're Leslie going loves to tell to me sing. if you know. Okay. Either the song name or who sang it. What if I don't know any of them? I think you'll know. Okay, and it's okay. Don't tell me it's not worth trying for. I <laughs> like your. Who's a Brian you Adams. You can't tell me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Everything that, I do. Wasn't that in like a Robin do Hood? Do it thing? for you.
0: You got intense. Wasn't that in like the Robin Hood movie with Alan Rickman? It might have been,
1: yeah. Okay, oh, yeah, that was a good one. Mm. Next one. Okay. Baby, baby, I'm taken with the notion. To love you with the sweetest of devotion.
0: I know that song, but I can't tell you who sang it or the title, I don't think. <laughs> it's called Baby, Baby. Oh, that that <laughs>
1: tracks. By Amy Grant. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I don't know much Amy Grant. Yeah, that's when she's like a Christian girl, but she like went yeah, mainstream. Because she has the Christmas album, and it's very Jesus-y. Oh, yeah. Okay. But then she went mainstream and was like the devil to— Oh, shit. Like All right, Amy yeah. Grant. Catholics love her, though. Yeah. All right, next. Mm-hmm. You're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> I only have two more. I love all it. Right, keep going. Saying I love you <laughs> is not the words I want to hear from you. I can't do it. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Which half of that harmony were you? <laughs> I don't know. I was all of it. That's
0: more than words by Are They Extreme? Yeah, that's what they're called. All right, good job. Every single Dude my age that had an acoustic guitar would pull that out and be like, ladies love this shit. That and then be like, anyway, here's Wonderwall. All right. What if you sang Wonderwall next? No, (laughs) that wasn't this year.
1: (laughs) I would be so happy. Ready? Last one. Yep. Okay. Yo, it's about that time to bring (laughs) forth the rhythm and the rhyme. Oh, no. Um, I'm going to get mine, so get yours. I want to see sweat coming out your pores. Is that the CNC Music Factory song? What song is oh, that? No, uh, no. it's um, Marky Mark. Oh, it's Marky Mark. That's yeah. right. And the Funky Bunch. Yeah. Good vibrations. Good vibrations. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, man. Remember when he was Marky Mark? And yeah. not serious actor Mark I Wahlberg. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like hot boy in jeans. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my game. Good job. You that won. was a great game. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I had my clinker ready, but you surprised me. I thought this one
1: was going to get heavy, so I wanted to play a game. No, I'm glad you did. I'll show parachute pants were in everyone's wardrobe. (laughs) Or you were not cool. (laughs) I had like
0: three pairs of parachute pants. I'm ashamed to say. Well, there you go. Or not ashamed? No. That was like, uh, I was cool. Own it. Yeah. It was the 90s. I did not have a mullet. That's good. So. I think you were too young for that. I mean, I could have had like a baby mullet or like a kid mullet. (laughs) But my mom, I did have very teased bangs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like that brick of just, like, teased
1: yeah. hair
0: in the front of your head. I did have that. Nice. You'll never see pictures of this. Wearing, like, like blossom hairs. clothes.
1: I had a blossom hat, nice. a pink one. I, I b- think I did. Ju- I didn't have that, but I dressed up. It was, similar. like, the flipped up one and it had a yeah. big flower. Yeah. <laughs> I so was
0: good. cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was a fun little diversion. And that was uh, the, the world... That Julia was born into. And then 18 months later, Julia was joined in this world by her sister, Tabiana, who goes by the shortened version, Tabi. They have such pretty and unique names. I know, they did. I've never heard either name before, but I I think they're both really pretty. Go mom. Way Way to have good creative names. There is absolutely zero information on her father. And maybe that's purposeful. He isn't even mentioned in her obituary. Hmm. Yeah. I respect that. There are so many wife unnamed or mother unnamed. We're always taken by surprise when it's the father. I'm sure they have their reasons, so. I imagine in like wishing to be closer to her parents, there's no confirmation on this, it's just my guess, Kim moved her two beautiful girls back to the very small town of Marietta, Ohio. It's not Marietta, Georgia, which I originally assumed. And then the distance between there and the West Virginia place where we go is nine hours. And I knew I was wrong. Very wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Marietta, Ohio. The town contains 14,515 people as of, I think, the 2010 census. 96% of those people are white. That's a huge percentage. Yeah. So it's the kind of town where everyone knows everyone else and their sister and their cousin and their ex-boyfriend's dog trainer and all their business. And it should be noted that Jalea was not white. Why is this noteworthy? Well, there are some who question if her death was partially a hate crime. And recent events in the United States have shed some light on the prevalence of these crimes. So when you're in a super crazy white town and a black girl dies under mysterious circumstances, I think one might be foolish to not question motives. Mm -hmm. Whether that is true or not, I think that information deserves to live out in the world. Right. Julia graduated from Marietta High School in 2009, and by 2011, had secured a job at the Hollister store in the local mall, which I think means she was probably really cool.
1: I would think so, too, That's like an
0: Abercrombie and Fitch type thing, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: I worked in the mall, so, and I was Very cool. cool. Yeah. But Hollister was like one of those cool pretty girl places, right? You could only be pretty and in perfect shape.
0: Right? That's what I thought. Yeah. This, after my time a little bit, like I, I was probably a little older, but... I pay attention, and I believe it's one of those stores with young and beautiful employees. Yes. So Friday, November 18th, 2011, started out in a pretty normal way. Julia told her mother and sister that she would be going to a party with a group of friends that night and spending the night at her friend Kristen Bechtold's house. Kristen was a relatively new friend, according to Investigation Discovery's exploration of this case, and I'll provide the link to the show it was on so everybody can watch it. And that's something that I, under normal circumstances, would not use as a source. Hmm. Because I love Investigation Discovery so much. I watch it all the time. But it's a TV channel. It's, it's shows for entertainment purposes. It's not news. And so it's going to be pretty heavily dramatized most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to use something that's a huge dramatization as my news source. However, this is an exception because Kim Davis has asked that people watch it. She has it on their Facebook page and she's like, when, and whenever it re-airs, she makes sure to notify people and she says well, she wants you to watch it. So for our sources, we're going to move forward with this information as accurate. Okay. Apparently, Julia and Kristen had only been closed for a few months. Julia left the house that night around 5 p.m. and drove to Kristen Bechtold's house. While she was there, the girls got ready for the night together, which we've talked about before and, like, sometimes—
1: That's the most fun part of the night. It's, yeah. Right? That's the whole point of going out is the (laughs) pregame.
0: Yep. we are with your girlfriends. You're putting on your face. You're, like, asking them which outfit to wear. You're listening to music, probably. It's like your Mm -hmm. own little party. And yes, we would usually pregame. Yep. I mean, if any of you are, like, not as youthful and cool as Leslie and I are, I I can't even talk. That means, like, you drink before you go out. Yeah. (gasps) Sometimes because
1: you're... Underage. Yeah. Sometimes so you have to get it in. <laughs> yep. Sometimes because booze are expensive. And yeah, you have no money at that age. Give yourself a little head start. Yeah. And sometimes because it's just fun to have like… A cocktail or two. of Zima or,
0: with, yeah. <laughs> with your buddies. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And you have, like, the whole night ahead of you. Nothing's gone wrong yet. And you're gossiping about, like, who you're going to see that night and what you hope to get out of the night. Usually somebody, like, wants to flirt with a boy or
1: or a girl or whatever. Yeah, there's Um, no disappointment yet.
0: No. The world's your oyster. (laughs) So that's what they were doing. They did that from about 5 to 6. And then they left for a house party around 6 o'clock. I have never in my life— heard of
1: a college-aged house party that starts at 6 p.m. I was just gonna say, what? I I think I was just coming from the gym then to get a shower and then start my hair at like 10. Yes. (laughs) I was gonna say, I got ready at a stupid late hour when I was in college. I would like- I would take a nap.
0: Yeah. At 6 o'clock was nap time. Take
1: a nap. Oh, probably eat. Go take a nap. You have to eat something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like- Dick around for a little while, watch a movie or something, and then you get ready. Right. This was 6 o'clock. Wow. I know. Anyway. What day pal- of the week? Friday. Man. Yeah. People still in class. <laughs> I, I guess not. So the girls, after they got all ready, drove uh, the 20 minutes to Parkville, West Virginia, where the party was, and spent the next apparently six hours there. Drinking. Well, yeah, the party doesn't start till 10. I know. I, drinking and carrying on. Okay. That's a long time. Yeah. Maybe they knew the person who was throwing this party and they were like helping set up or something. That's what I'm
1: thinking. Maybe they know them and they're just hanging. And Yeah,
0: there's no information that confirms this, but Mike, I like couldn't wrap my brain around a party that started at 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. That's absurd to me. Now, there are also mixed reports about how much Jaliyah had to drink in this period of time. At one point, Kristen Bechtold says before she got to the party, she drank an entire bottle of vodka. That's impossible. Right, because she was not a very big lady. No. Um, and I, I think there are also reports that say she drank an entire po- bottle of vodka while at this party. Okay. Which is less possible, but also over the course of six hours. With shots or... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I think that that was like a In wild... What kind of bottle? <laughs> yeah. You know. I also think that was probably kind of a wild estimation. I don't yeah. know that that's necessarily true, but the information is there. That's something that she said. At around midnight, the girls and their little group of friends began to get bored because they'd been there for six hours. Mm-hmm. So they decided to head over to a local nightclub and pool hall called the Nip and Cue. Jalea, Kristen Bechtold, Katie Nelson... Uh, A boy named Jordan Campbell and another boy, I guess they're men. I don't know. 20-year-olds are boys to me.
1: Men now, Um, yeah.
0: Named Freddie Freddie Scott, who was driving. They all piled into his car and drove the short distance to the Nip and Q. And what an establishment it is. Oh, boy. Or rather was. I checked out the Nip, as it was locally known, which to me just sounds like a nipple. Um, (laughs) I looked it out online, and, oh, woof. The Facebook page tells me that it closed for remodeling in 2014 and just, like, never reopened. Man. Yeah. I wonder people- what they're
1: doing to it. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I suspect that it didn't not have anything to do with the fact that it would seem that they served underage people on a pretty regular basis. Mm. And as it would later be confirmed, that Julia and her 20-year-old friends went there a lot. Most of the posts on Facebook from 2011, when this occurred, were about pool tournaments and the fact that every Friday, which this was a Friday, was ladies night. Oh. And then also on Fridays, there were twerk contests.
1: Oh. (laughs) Oh, that was a thing then? Yeah, we were at a very classy place. Wow.
0: Ah, yeah. Those posts might have been from a little later, but like, I think they were then. That's right, Yeah. Yeah, they had twerk contests and ladies' night on Friday. They also advertised, like, benefits for locals, like, beef and beer type things Mm -hmm. and a lot of stuff about pool. They were all about their pool.
1: I never felt more used than on a girls' night, like, a ladies' night at a bar. Really? Because— you would think like, oh, we're going to go in and like meet guys, you know, like yeah. they're going to want to go because it is ladies night. Mm-hmm. But then you just realized that they wanted you to get them their drinks. That was like the night where like I always had to go get the drinks for everybody. Ew, I hate that. I know. I like, it's like slowly was like a realization where I was like, oh. I hate that for you. I know. That's awful. I mean, it was still great, but I was still like, I'm not going to. Get your own drinks, bitches, yeah. and pay for them. Yeah, I'm sorry. I get free drinks, not you. You get <laughs> paid for drinks. Bye. No. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the pictures that they have on their Facebook page, th- this place is so bizarre. It's a very dimly lit bar. It has a like patterned carpet that looks like like a 90s airport almost. Okay. Um, And there's like a lot of pool tables and then the walls like lining where the pool tables are are video poker kind of. So it mm-hmm. has a real casino vibe.
1: All right. There's not
0: a lot of windows. You're like in it. When and you're this in there. this one's in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Okay. This one's in Parkville, I believe. Okay. It's, so anyway, the pictures, like I just said, show this dimly lit bar, but it also clears up into like a sizable dance floor with a disco ball. And either the pictures are crowded, full of like sweaty young people dancing, or it's totally empty with <laughs> toothless billboard enthusiasts. Awesome. Yeah. So it's <laughs> you got one or the other. This is not exactly where I think I would have wanted to be at that age. But if they're serving minors. There were probably a billion of them
1: there. Yeah, you don't have a choice. You no, just you just go, go where you can go.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that and that was it. And not minors; those guys deserve a drink. It's dark and dirty down there. <laughs> I will make that joke every time I can. <laughs> I know I've done it before. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, oh. underage young folks. The Nip was also a pretty rough joint, from what I've read. It seems to have been host to weekly <laughs> bar fights that would spill out into the parking lot. Nice. Yeah, and a lot of times, it was girls. Okay. It was mostly girls. One of the girls that went on to be interviewed about Julia um, spoke about how she had gotten in a fight outside the nip with another girl, and the girl hit her in the head with a bottle. What? It was, like, intense. Wow. Yeah, and they asked her, like, was Julia ever in these fights? She was like, well, she was there, but she never, like, engaged in fisticuffs. Okay. So, yeah, then that wasn't uncommon. So on this particular night, Jalia's group stayed at the NIP until reportedly between 2.30 and 3 a.m., which would have been just about closing time. I believe it closed at 3.30, which is a very strange time for a bar to close. Mm. Everything is
1: strange. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like Wildwood is four sometimes in the summer down here, but right. most places are
1: two. So maybe they were four, but like clo- but maybe their wrap-up was— Their last call was 3.30?
0: Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But they, they were reported to leave between 2.30 and 3.00. Julia had danced with Jordan Campbell, one of the guys that went with them. Kristen's boyfriend apparently had briefly shown up for a little while. And a young woman named Nicole Wooten joined the pack for a little while while they were at the NIP. And this is the girl that's like, one time I got in a bar fight, somebody hit me with a bottle.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Wooten.
0: But she left on her own accord. So she was like just at that place with them. And then she like went off and did her own thing.
1: She's got places to be, people to beat up.
0: (laughs) <laughs> she does apparently and then after this is like a little sideline. There's so many sidelines in this story. After Julia's death she like immediately put up pictures on Facebook of like her in the same group as Julia like standing with her oh. and all this like I'm so sad and she put like condolences up to Kim and to Toby. and it was like later revealed like she didn't really know her that well. Mm. She worked with Tabby at Victoria's Secret at the mall okay. and she had also put up tweets because there's a lot of Twitter business in the story. Okay. She had tweeted that like that the day after Toby's death or I guess the day of because it was like 3am that morning she said she had gone to brunch with the sheriff and his wife and then she met up with that group that was with Julia at a motel in Parkville. So Kim was like, well this is fucking shady. What are you trying to do? Which I probably would have thought the same thing. So then she banned Nicole from going to Julia's funeral. Oh. Yeah. There's so much contention in this story. Mama's got claws. I don't blame her there. Because if this sounds to me, I don't know this woman. She could be lovely. She could be not lovely. She can withstand a shot to the head with a bottle. So she's a lot. Um, Maybe she just, like, really wanted to be involved. Yeah. Maybe she was, like, kind of on the edge of their friend group, and she was like, oh, they were my friends. Like, you know—
1: yeah, you you can't know. really tell, but that's like, know. she's
0: like a weird little sideline, side okay. so I just thought I would give it to you. Jalea was reported to be extremely intoxicated when she arrived. Like, they said she was wearing booties with, like, heels, and she was stumbling over her heels a lot. Okay. And then Nicole Wooten actually is the one that reported that she seemed less drunk when she left, mm. which to me indicates that possibly she did not drink while she was there.
1: Yeah, She could have drank
0: very heavily at the party and then just got into this place and was not served alcohol while she was there. Maybe they just kept giving her water too. Yeah. They said they saw her at some points with a styrofoam cup, but nobody knew what the contents were. So my thought was like, that could be anything. That could be a Coke. You don't, you can't say she was drinking there based only on a cup in her hand. Mm -hmm. So perhaps she did sober up a little bit while she was at this pool hall because technically if you have billiards, you can let people in who are not 21. Right. They may not have broken any laws, though they did confirm that, like, a lot of them were drinking. Right. But maybe Julia wasn't while she was there. In fact, I kind of lean towards the fact that she probably wasn't while she was there. Some people report that she argued with Kristen Bechtold while they were there, that they were fighting over a boy that they both liked. Sounds right. Yeah. You're 20. You're at a bar. You've been drinking all night. you had a house party starting at 6. You're going to have a fight with somebody about a boy. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. Then they all left in Freddie's car just as they had arrived. And they drove back to the house where the party had been because that's where Julia left her car. When they got there, either one of two things happened. According to Freddie Scott, who was the only outlier in these stories, he said that Julia couldn't find her keys and that she was really frustrated and she didn't fight with Kristen and then she just went to sit in her car and she called her sister and then the rest of them left. Okay. According to literally everybody else in that group of friends, they arrived at the house and Kristen told Julia that she was too drunk to drive home. So she took her keys. Julia then argued with Kristen and wanted her keys back. She thought she was fine to drive home. Kristen said, I need to watch you call your sister to come and pick you up and then I'll give you your keys and we'll leave you to wait for your sister. It was so good until the end. I know. Mm-hmm. At 3.28 a.m., Jalea's sister, Tobby receives a phone call. And this is tracked like they have the phone records of it. This happened. And it was Jalea. She's asking Tobby to pick her up at the Exxon gas station. It's a BP now, but I think at the time it was an Exxon. Doesn't matter. Um, it was located um, in Parkville, West Virginia, on the corner of Rosemary Street and Emerson Avenue. This is two miles away from the Nip and Q. During this conversation, Jalea can be heard... Arguing with Kristen, Toby distinctly heard her sister say, give me back my keys. Julia was very upset. Kristen was upset. Like you can hear, she could hear both of them talking to one another and arguing. Toby agrees to come and pick her up. They hang up. At this point, Kristen, Freddie, Jordan, and Katie all claim that they leave Julia alone in her car, drunk and in possession of her keys. Which this is... I mean, you thought it was as weird as I did. I could see it right. on your face. If your friend is too drunk to drive, you don't give them back their keys that night. No. You drop them off at home, then leave their keys at home with them, or you drop them in their mailbox the next day or something. Yeah, you do not give them their keys. Absolutely not. It's like the first rule is like, don't give them their keys. Mm-hmm. Because, let them hate you. Oh, yeah. Let them hate you overnight. They didn't mm-hmm. die. Right. Or they did. Mm-hmm. But if they get their keys, they're going to drive that car. Right. They're not just going to hold their keys.
1: Mm-mm. They're
0: going to drive away, especially if your friend, as Julia was, is arguing that she's all right and she wants to drive. Yep. Kristen admits to being present for this first phone call, so all of that checks out, and having Julia's keys, and arguing with her. So far, everything lines up. Okay. Okay? So five minutes later at 3.33 a.m., Julia calls Toby back. She wants to know first if she had left yet, and then she tells Toby to instead pick her up at a rest area near Williamstown, West Virginia. This would be approximately 10 miles from the gas station she said she would be at originally. The rest area would have been located at mile marker 185 on Interstate 77, which kills me because she was very close to it. Yeah. And that's where she was going to stop. Toby said that during this phone call, Julia is extremely upset. Julia says she's driving... At the time that she's calling her sister, she's in her car driving on I-77. A major highway. Because like I said, if she, if she gets the keys, she's going to drive. That's you, just right. what's going to happen. She must have started the car the second they drove away. Like they were out of her field of vision and she just started the car up. Because it's only five minutes later and Julia is on the interstate. So she, she got there quick. Toby says that Julia is super angry and she says she's very angry at Kristen. Toby says she's yelling at Kristen and crying. Toby asks Julia what happened, and Julia replies, "Quote I'll tell you when you get here." And then the phone call ends. Did you catch the weird part? Say it again. Julia says she's extremely angry at Kristen. Mm-hmm. Toby says she's yelling at Kristen and crying. Toby asks her what happened, and Julia replies, "Quote I'll tell you when you get here." And then the phone call ends. Well, Kristen's in the car with her. She's yelling. At, at Kristen, Kristen is what Toby says, who claims she left Jalea at the house after the first phone call. But at this point, Jalea is very clearly in the car. Both the noise that Toby hears in the call, because you can tell when somebody's in the car, and the eventual data from Jalea's phone confirm this. Okay. Toby says it is unclear whether Kristen's voice was present during this call. She so says she can't hear the other end of the conversation. And it is possible that Julia was simply yelling about her, I'm going to say that, because sometimes when I get really mad, I talk about the person I'm mad at as though they were, like, right in front of me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think we've all loudly staged imaginary tell-offs when we're mad. Right. Something that people do. So it's, like, the best time. It is the best yeah. time. <laughs> so, I mean, that could have been what happened. That, that easily could have been what was going on. But to further confuse things, Kristen also claims in her statement to the police that she heard Jalea tell Toby that she would explain what happened when she got there. But according to Tobby, this part of the discussion occurred in the second part of the phone call,
1: mm. one that Kristen
0: was apparently not present for, so she wouldn't have heard it. Right. Is this all insanely confusing? Yes, it sure is. But hold on to it, because there are theories— Wherein you're gonna need to have this knowledge. Also, both girls, both Toby and Kristen Bechtold, spoke to police at entirely different times and were not aware what the other one said. Okay. So it's not like one is disputing the other one. Mm-hmm. Then at 3:36, just one minute later, Julia calls her sister back for a third time. This time she is hysterically crying about the situation with Kristen. Toby confirms that she is leaving to pick up Julia at the rest area. And if my sources are correct, this would have been like a 15 to 20 minute drive maybe, but it is also after 3 a.m. And I imagine if her sister was at home or you know just like doing 3 a.m. stuff, she was probably either sleeping or not ready to leave the house. Mhm. You have to get dressed and get your life together first. She does show up at the scene when she, like in a little while, with a friend. Okay. So there's a chance that she was sleeping at somebody else's house or had a guest and was awake because of that. Or maybe she was out partying too. We don't really know. maybe she just
1: picked up her friend to go get her sister at at 3.30 a.m.
0: Yeah, maybe. I guess. I don't know. Anyway, that's what happens. She doesn't really say what's leading up to it. These phone calls are really fast and furious, however, and I'm sure that Toby did, like, all of her getting ready after the last phone call because mm-hmm. they fired off so rapidly she couldn't have done anything in between. So this brings us back to our very first 911 call at 3.41 a.m., a mere five minutes after Toby and Jalea hang up the phone for the last time. And at that point, Jalea was already lying dead in the road. So the accident must have occurred minutes after that last phone call. Wow. Yeah. So we're talking about a distance from 336 to 341. Okay. So at 348 a.m., the truck driver and his son who make the second phone call come upon Julia and stop. So they actually hit her body. And this man is like clearly you can hear by the phone call, he is horrified. Yeah. I feel so bad for this man. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine like you wouldn't see her cuz he's in like a Semi, like a big old truck, yeah. and he's high above the road, mm-hmm. and he says so many times, and so does the, one of the other callers that they think it's a deer, right? You don't ever assume, like, well, that's a human laying in the road. He approached the body with flashlights. He later says, "Yeah, to confirm, like, mm-hmm. what it is." And so he saw the whole gruesome scene laid out. Oh. And then remember, there were also, like, other people standing there. There were other onlookers at that That's point right, in time. yeah. So the truck driver, like he said, blocked traffic with his truck, like he moved the truck, in order to pre- preserve Julia's body so, like, nobody else would hit her. And then he, like, kind of tried to direct the flow of traffic away from that area. So, Smart. yeah. Oh, This guy is, deserves, like, a medal. He's yeah. great and probably super traumatized. I would assume, yeah. yeah. And, and, like, another thing is that the very first call— The guy kept saying, he's against the guardrail, he, 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 yet again. I think some people default to he. Okay, yeah. Also, like, we then don't know what part of that he caught because if the person was against the guardrail. Or I present another option. When you're talking about someone driving in a car Mm -hmm. and you're talking about that car, you usually put a pronoun on it. You'd be like, he cut me off.
1: You don't say, that car
0: cut me off. You immediately make them a person.
1: That's true, yeah. So he
0: could have been said he's against the guardrail and just been referring to the car pressed up against the guardrail.
1: Yeah. Just like okay. you would
0: say he rear-ended me. He ran that red light. That's true. It's the same kind of thing. So we truly don't know because that guy never came back, didn't give his name and hung up. I
1: know, <laughs> so yeah. we don't know what he was doing. What's your name? I have- remember that line. I got to go. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so so yeah, those are the the two 911 calls as of the last 911 call as we addressed at 3.52, police had not yet arrived on the scene, but like I said, connecting dots on my own, I believe that they were on their way at the time. Right, okay. Shortly after this call, they would have then arrived on the scene. So now on to the investigation. The police arrived on the scene and immediately began to block things off, even more like they let the trucker guy go, that poor thing. Ugh. And they set up their own blockades. And like almost immediately after that was done, like the blockages were put up, Toby pulls up to the interstate and sees police lights. And she says, and the roadblocks, and she says in interviews, and it's very heartbreaking that she saw this and she just knew it was her sister. Of She's course. like, that's, that's my sister, I know yeah. it. The police then inform her that a young woman has died on the road. Are they supposed to do that? I don't know. Right? I, hmm. Usually I thought cops keep their stuff like pretty quiet and use code words and stuff. Like, yeah. Toby was like, what happened? And the cops were like, well, we found a dead girl. That to me seems like audacious. I don't A know little, that you'd yeah. be doing that. But that's what happened. Toby then parked her car on the shoulder of the road and called her mother. She told her to come quickly and that something was wrong. And then Toby called Kristen Bechtold. And Kristen answered, which is surprising. It's very late. Mm-hmm. Toby asked her what the hell happened to her sister. And she's very pointed. She's angry, of course. Like she's like pretty sure her sister is this dead body in the road. Right. She wants to know what Kristen has done to her. She said she knows that they had a fight and that Toby was driving and that she had been drinking and she was yelling at Kristen and crying and now she was probably dead. Kristen said she didn't know what had happened to Julia. She said that after she called Toby the first time, she left Julia in her car and Freddie Scott took her home. The two had fought because Kristen didn't want Julia to drive drunk, but then parted ways. Right. Then they hang up. Kim. Julia's mother immediately drives to the scene and she brings her father, Roger, with her. When she pulls up, she sees, like I mentioned earlier, two sheet-covered lumps in the road. She approaches the officers and said that she suspected that this had something to do with her daughter, Julia Davis, and the police confirmed that they thought the same thing and had Kim identify the body, mm. which means she had to see what was happening. Of course. I don't, again, I don't know how you recover from that. And at this point, it still isn't even light yet. It's like four o'clock in the morning and very cold. Right. The police explained that a truck driver had found Julia, and the scene is exactly as it had been when uh, the truck driver found it. Like he did the best thing that he could do to preserve exactly what it was. As we mentioned, this guy deserves gold stars and, and hero medals. Kim identifies Jalea's Body and her car and her belongings that are in the car because her purse and her, like, just stuff and water bottles and things were in
1: there. Um, And oddly, that stuff is undisturbed. It's still sitting in a pile on the back seat. Yeah, I remember reading that because that was, like, the weird thing. Mm -hmm. Because you would think if you went into a crash, things would be flying. Yeah, If she was ejected through the passenger seat, it was, like, hard enough
0: of a crash that she was ejected, why wouldn't the things in the back seat move at all? Right. There's a lot of weird, curious things like this. And, and Kim sees the car with the blood bloodstains um, because there was blood pooled on the trunk and on the roof of the car, and there was like brain matter on the car and stuff too. It was pretty intense. And it, it just didn't feel right to her. And at this point, the police agree with Kim, and they deem Julia's death a suspected homicide. And then they clear the family out of there. After they've done what they needed to do with the family, they say, okay, you can go. But after this, Julia's grandfather, Roger, comes back to take his own pictures of the scene. He states that um, in the, in the uh, investigation discovery show on this, he says, like, I'm a hunter and I know how to look for clues. I was like, Roger, oh, you're intense. Roger. I know. I like Roger. <laughs> so he goes in and he notices some things that the police, he thinks, didn't notice. First of all, he says he sees a shoe print in the mud that is never talked about again. Well, I don't know what happened there. Okay. But he also says... He sees what appears to be acceleration marks
1: mm-hmm. next
0: to where, uh, like, the body was found. So where the car went from initial crash, like, down to where it coasted. It doesn't appear that it just idled down there. There, right. are like, There's tire left on the highway. Okay. Which could only be produced by accelerating so, the car. Yeah. So he takes pictures of all of that, which, again, go Roger. And the blood smears in the highway that are going into the passing lanes, uh, the marks the sheriffs had made on the asphalt with spray paint to be the location of her head and her body. He takes pictures of the clothing on the guardrail, which I don't know why they left there, but apparently they did, and what appeared to be the acceleration marks. So he has all of this documented. Initially, police suspect that Jalea had gotten out of the car and then someone else hit her with the car and sandwiched her in between the bumper of the car and the guardrail. So she'd be up against the guardrail and the car would like T-shape, smack her into the guardrail. After collecting evidence, taking a full statement from Tobby, and sending the body off to the medical examiner, police then went looking for people who were with Jalea last. Of course, they first went to the home of Kristen Bechtold. Mm -hmm. Now detectives noted that there were two cars in the Bechtold driveway. One was covered in frost and one was not. Remember I said it was very cold. Right. Now, from this, one could surmise that one car had been recently driving and the other had stayed parked. Mm -hmm. Detectives uh, or officers, I'm not sure who went to her house first, knocked on her door several times but got no answer. Now, this is first thing in the morning. Two cars are in the driveway. People are home at that house. They are electing not to answer that door.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: And officers announce their presence police, knock, knock, knock. They don't just knock. It's not like you could just mistake them for, like, an early rising Jehovah's Witness. This (laughs) this was, like, purposefully being ignored. The Bechtolds knew exactly what the detectives were there to ask about. And Toby had called Kristen prior to that and been like, what'd you do to my sister? Mm -hmm. So when the cops showed up, it was like, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. Obviously. A few hours later, authorities heard back from Kristen Bechtold's lawyer. She turned out had immediately lawyered up and elected to not speak to the police until she had a lawyer present. Now, a lot of people take this as an indication of guilt, and maybe it is, but here's the thing. We always say we would not advise anyone in her position not to do the same thing.
1: Absolutely. Do not speak to police regarding a crime, especially if you're a suspect without representation. And she's already aware that something happened Mm -hmm. to her because of her sister calling.
0: Yeah, and because she was the last—she knew she was, like, the last person to see her. She knows she was on the the phone with Toby when she was there arguing with her. Mm -hmm. You need a lawyer. She definitely told her parents, and they said, And they said, we have to get a lawyer. 100%. But, like, look at what happened to Amanda Knox, which we'll see next week. Yes. (laughs) We both have very strong feelings about her. She didn't kill anybody. But the police sure did want her to be guilty. Mm-hmm. And because she didn't have representation at first, they could really guide her into just about anything. Absolutely, yeah. Lawyer up. Lawyer up. Call damn cops. that's probably
1: why they didn't answer the door. Absolutely.
0: Because then they'd have to talk to the police or they'd have to deny mm-hmm. talking to them. Better, they just thought, until we have a
1: lawyer, we're not going to say anything. I know. I'm, like, too guilt-ridden. I would have, like, answered the door just because I felt too bad just making them knock. Yeah. But... I, I, also, I probably would have been like, I'm not saying anything till I have a lawyer.
0: The fear-based child in me would have been like, but it's the police. I have to answer. Exactly. That's how I would have felt. And I have to answer their questions because <laughs> they're asking me and they're the police. I know. But here's the thing. You don't. Mm-mm. You can wait for your lawyer. Mm-hmm. You can be represented. Like I said, I think it's smart of the Bechtolds to have gotten Kristen a lawyer. Could that mean that she did something wrong? Absolutely. Does it? We don't know. Police are acting in the best interest of their case. Mm -hmm. But that isn't necessarily your best interest. You need someone who is there to act on your best interest. So anyway, now that we've gone off on that. Unlike Kristen, Jalea's other friends were able to be brought in for statements. Like, they didn't lawyer up right away. Okay. Police brought in Freddie Scott first, who related the story, as I said previously— they went to the nip and queue around midnight, left around three. Julia was, in his words, drunk but not falling down drunk. This guy's a real treat. He could not have cared less what became of her. He's like, we put her in her car. I was done. I had nothing else to do with her after that. I did the job that I was set out to do. I don't care what she did after that. He has some real choice um, Twitter jokes, too, oh, about being accused of this crime. They are pretty unacceptable. You can find him if you want. I'm not going to put him in our podcast because I don't, I don't think we need to be doing that. According to Freddie, Julia couldn't find her keys and was frustrated. Like we said, she said he said she didn't fight with Kristen, called her sister, sat in the car, and then they left. Then he took the girls to McDonald's and then dropped them off at home. McDonald's would prove to be kind of a linchpin for Freddie because security footage from the area of McDonald's would show Freddie and two unidentifiable passengers at the McDonald's drive-through, which was six miles away, at the exact time of Julia's death. Okay. So, Freddie, for sure, because you can see his face, mm-hmm. could not have been with her. Okay. But the other two passengers in the car, y- you they're just shadowed. Like, right. you're at a drive through the guy leaning out the window to talk, you see him, but you cannot clearly see the passenger or the person in the back seat. Okay, Now, he claims, and the girls agree, that that is Kristen Bechtold and Katie Nelson. Mm-hmm. And the police go, yeah, that's right. Okay. They just... Yep. Okay. They just believe them, which in a crime I, I don't know that you can do, but they do. And this, because of Freddie's, like, being corroborated there, this would mean that anybody who actually was in that car could not have been guilty. Right. It just doesn't necessarily mean it was those girls. Okay. But authorities took that as evidence that both Kristen and Katie were innocent. The only thing you can see is <laughs> Freddie and a, and a girl's arm. They're like, it was a girl's arm. We know that arm is a girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> like, <laughs> that's fine police asked some Freddie also fingers I don't, seen some some very delicate, some, fingers. delicate fingers delicate fingers police then asked Freddie if he had heard any rumors about julia's death what a loaded question
1: i know
0: he then admitted that he had heard from other people that kristen was driving the car that killed julia and that she pushed her out of the car and then rammed her into the guardrail He also heard a rumor that he himself was driving the car and another rumor that he was in the car and pushed Jalea out. Okay. Now, the footage at the McDonald's does rule out his involvement. All right. So approximately 12 hours after Jalea's passing, Katie Nelson went to the police to make a voluntary statement. So that guilt you were talking about, this is the girl that felt it. Okay. Katie says that Jalea and Kristen got into a fight because Kristen wouldn't give Jalea her keys until she had called her sister. So this is the same story we heard earlier. Finally, Kristen comes in with her lawyer to make a statement. And this is like the only statement Kristen makes. She's never talked to again, really. She just comes in, does this, that's it. And she echoes basically exactly Katie's statement. There was an argument. She didn't want Julia to drive drunk. She withheld her keys until she called Toby. then left with Freddie, got some McDonald's, and went home. Kristen was even able to vaguely recount the McDonald's order that they put in that night. She said she got chicken nuggets, and Freddie got some kind of burger, and Katie got something else. And this is confirmed by the receipt from McDonald's. So McDonald's could pull up what they ordered, and they're like, yeah, that's what they ordered. But here's the thing. One, Kristen would have had time to talk to Freddie. Mm -hmm. There's 12 hours. Freddie wasn't there the whole time. So if she wanted to, I'm not saying she did, but she could have. And two, McDonald's has like four things.
1: Burgers and nuggets are two of them. Yeah. (laughs) That's a pretty good guess. But it's also one of those things where it's like not too specific. Mm -hmm. It's like exactly how you would say mm -hmm. because you yeah
0: I don't know and liars get things exactly right truth tellers get them a roundabout way yeah we've talked about this a lot of times before if somebody gets things point by point exactly right chances are they've rehearsed it Mm -hmm. so and she didn't she got it vaguely
1: right do you like I like want McDonald's right now oh girl (laughs) it's so good sorry nuggets some kind of burger some kind
0: (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) of But this was enough for police to clear both Kristen and Katie. And now here's what I haven't told you. Kristen Bechtold, Freddie Scott, and Katie Nelson all had relatives who were on the local police force. Oh. At one point in time, even if they were retired, they were still important. Kristen's grandfather was the former sheriff.
1: Aye. Mm-hmm.
0: Would it have been incredibly easy for the police to sweep this one under the rug? Absolutely. hmm Are they notorious for protecting their own? Also, absolutely. Did they have reason to do so? Freeze a charm.
1: <laughs> right. Wow.
0: In, yeah. I'm not saying they did this,
1: mm-hmm. but I'm not saying they didn't. Or they could have at least like prepared her. Yeah. For any other questioning. Mm-hmm. Like this is what we have. For sure. Oh, geez. That's why okay. so her family
0: was so savvy with the law.
1: Yeah. In
0: the months that followed, the lab work and evidence reports began to roll in. Obviously, Julia, uh, her autopsy report confirms that she died of traumatic head injuries. she had have a head, obviously. That's what happened. And had a blood alcohol level of 0.19.
1: Yeah, yikes.
0: The legal limit is 0.08. Mm-hmm. 0.19 is high, you guys. If she was, in fact, driving, she was not safe.
1: Mm-hmm. At
0: this point, and she says she's driving. At this point, your blood alcohol level... Is, is high, and you'll be affected by blurred vision, loss of coordination and balance, and potentially dysphoria, anxiety, or restlessness. 0.16 to 0.19, the term sloppy drunk applies. Dysphoria will become stronger and nausea may occur. So this is like almost the puke point. You're not doing well when you're at mm-hmm. 0.19. It seems to be around this point that the cops shift their thinking from suspected homicide to a drunk driving accident. hmm And... We've talked a little bit about alcohol and younger people in the past and their tendency to drink to the point of oblivion and not mm-hmm. consider themselves. So I know you prepared a little bit on alcohol use in youths and stuff in 2011. Yes,
1: I mostly did the stats for 2011. Perfect. So let's let's hear. It. Was this like a common thing? Was she yeah, in a trend? Absolutely. At this point in 2011, and even today, we have had a 50% reduction in drunk driving deaths. Oh, well, since, that's good. Since the formation of MAD, which is Mothers Against Drunk Driving, in 1980. Okay. Ooh, that's early. Wow. Yeah. Well, they like started it then, and uh, in slow, their main thing was that they wanted people to be tested more um, okay. when they got pulled over on the road, things like that. So the more— s- testing, the more stats they get and the more knowledge we get. And then obviously they did want to make it illegal.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So it wasn't illegal at that point, but it is in 2011. Drunk driving still claims more lives than nearly any other non-medical cause of death in America. Mm. Um, And then you talked a little bit about the um, blood alcohol level being .08 as the considered illegal level there. Um, The interesting thing about that is that a beer, so like a normal beer, we would talk about maybe like Bud or Miller, yeah. things like that. One beer brings you up to about 0. 0.02. Okay. So every beer is 0. 0.02. So it'll take you about three to four beers to get to that 0.08 mm-hmm. level. And then um, so where she was at at 0.19 Oosh. is pretty high and it keeps going. So it's, it's every two hours your body needs to metabolize that one beer out. Mm-hmm. So if you just keep adding to it, that that's a lot. Like that's you can build think. it up a lot, especially if you're drinking heart. That's just a regular beer. Yeah. So if you're drinking, she, they said vodka. Well, that's so. why I think there's
0: merit to her drinking extremely heavily at the party. Mm-hmm. And then think about how high her blood alcohol content was when she left the party. Exactly, yeah. If it was that hours later, because mm-hmm. she left the party at midnight— if she wasn't really drinking at the nipping queue, and if she mm-hmm. did, it was only one thing
1: in a cup the whole time. Mm-hmm. She was like point two something yeah, which before is, she got to the bar. I don't know how she wasn't sick. Right. Right. So they say uh, the vomiting would happen only if you had gotten to that point faster. Mm. But if you were drinking, she, they started at 6 mm-hmm. or maybe sooner. But she had it was kind of a slow increase. Yeah. So you're not going to necessarily vomit around that level yet. Yeah. Not everyone does. I for sure would. <laughs> I, would I was so bad. I was so bad. All right. So the following information I got comes from the AlcoholAlert.com. Okay. Since 2002, so these studies are, there was one done in 2002 and then another one done in 2011, so, mm-hmm. which was kind of nice for our purposes. Since 2002 it has been illegal in all 50 states to drive with a blood alcohol level that is .08 or higher. Okay. An average of one alcohol impaired driving fatality occurred every 53 minutes in 2011. Oh my god. That's and it's so still many. about it's still about the same now. Oh no. In 2011, 9,878 people were killed in alcohol impaired driving crashes. These alcohol-impaired driving fatalities accounted for 31% of the total motor vehicle traffic fatalities in the U.S. That's so many. Traffic fatalities and alcohol-impaired driving crashes uh, decreased by 2.5% from 2010. So that's like a nice decrease. That's a good thing. Yeah. In 2011, a total of 1,140 children, age 14 and younger, were killed in motor vehicle traffic crashes. Mm -hmm. Of those 1,140 fatalities, 181 occurred in alcohol-impaired driving crashes, which is always too many. Yeah, way too many. The rate of alcohol impairment among drivers involved in fatal crashes in 2011 was four and a half times higher at night dur- than during the day, which makes a bit of sense. More people are drunk at night anyway. Right. In 2011, 15% of all drivers involved in fatal crashes during the week were alcohol impaired. Um, so it's 15% during the week. Yikes. <laughs> and compared to 31% on the weekends. Oh my God,
0: that's so many.
1: In fatal crashes in 2011, the highest percentage of drivers with a blood alcohol level of 0.08 or higher was for drivers ages 21 to 24. So Mm -hmm. she just makes it uh, just underneath that level, but right before her 21st birthday. Right. The proportion of drivers involved in fatal crashes with blood alcohol levels of 0.08 or higher. Was twenty four percent among males and fourteen percent among females. Those are both huge numbers. They're big numbers, yeah, and it still like, kind of um, stays that way. Like more males get into these crashes, but mm-hmm. I always assume, like sometimes at night, especially when you're leaving, generally the guy is driving. Drive, and, yep. Um, more girls are getting rides home. Like we're just kind of taught that we can ask for a ride home. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a very good point. As a as yeah. a woman. You feel like you can you can do that. You can be like, I need I need a ride home. Like I'm
1: I'm I almost always knew how I was getting home. Right. And normally we just always had a cab. Like there was a group yeah. of us that did a cab. Or now it'd be Ubers. like an Uber.
0: Yeah. But oh, men don't have that impulse as much. Mm-hmm. I guess
1: they they always had to find their way. Women were like, okay, how do we get home? Safely? But they had to like tough it out and be the one that got people home. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good point. I mean, like that's a gender stereotype that we're Mm -hmm. kind of putting on them, but it also, there's truth to that. There's Mm -hmm. definitely, that's something that was put upon men and they would feel like they had that kind of responsibility and that they couldn't show, I guess, weakness and say they Mm -hmm. needed someone else to take them home.
1: Oh, that's horrible. I hate Mm -hmm. that. Um, So I did try to compare these numbers um, with our, like, the past year, but the closest I got was, um, I think the last time they did a study must have been around 2017, so we just might not have a full data report yet. Um, So some of the current information on drunk driving statistics I pulled are from bestonlinetrafficschool.co. Best. Yeah. And I looked at a couple, so these are all Mm -hmm. the same numbers, but um, I like their little pictures. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Twenty-nine people die in drunk driving crashes every day in America. Oh, that's, that's so many! One death every fifty minutes on average. So we went from fifty-three minutes in two thousand and eleven now to fifty. We're not doing good, you guys. No, before we were declining, and now we're at least about the same, but I still a little. What up. the pandemic is going to do to that? Because everyone is way drunker, but they're also not going anywhere. I know. I think it's. Uh, I think a lot of statistics are down. I mean, even like shootings in school. Yeah, we haven't had any of those. <laughs> Good job, America. <laughs> oh. Every two minutes, a person is injured in a drunk driving crash. That's a lot. That's a lot. 28% of all traffic deaths involve involve an alcohol-impaired driver. Two out of three people will be involved in a drunk driving crash in their lifetime. 10,874 people, children and adults included, died in drunk driving accidents in 2017, which is a higher number than in 2011. Yeah. 20.7% of all drunk driving is committed by adults between the ages of 26 and 29. So some that number went up a little higher in age just barely, but mm. s- still there. The average drunk driver has driven drunk 80 times before being arrested. 80? Yeah. That's too many. I know. Well, you imagine you just keep doing it till you get caught. It takes 80 times mm-hmm. to get caught. That's a lot of times. Only 1% of drunk drivers were arrested out of the 111 million self-reported episodes of driving under the influence in 2016. So there must have been, like, some study where people were just, like— Polled, and they, yeah. like, admitted to— Yeah. Mm-hmm. Only 1%. <laughs> Repeat offenders drive up the percentage of drunk driving in fatal crashes. Um, so that was, like, interesting. Mm-hmm. This was a wild number. Drunk driving costs the U.S. about $132 billion every year. That's too much money. That's about $500 a person per year. (gasps) What are are they paying? What is that Um, money going to? Yeah. So, and then the last bit I had, I just wanted to debunk some, like, drunk myths. Like, sobering up kind of myths. Tell us. Drinking coffee, exercise, and cold showers will sober you up. (laughs) False. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Coffee and cold showers are like a splash of cold water on your face may make you feel more alert at times, but you are still inebriated and not sobering up any faster. Don't drive. If you eat before you drink, the food will soak up the alcohol (laughs) to keep you from getting drunk or hungover. False. (laughs) Totally false. But that McDonald's is good. It's so good. (laughs) Food can slow the absorption of alcohol, and this would only be before. So like once you start, I remember learning once you started drinking, if you went out So, like, if you go to a bar and you're Mm -hmm. like, we're going to get drinks and food, if you start drinking, your body's already like, there's toxins in me, and it starts metabolizing that before the food.
0: Got to eat first.
1: You got to eat first anyway, (sighs) so that at least your body is metabolizing some of the food. Otherwise, you're just going to be like a bloated hot mess. I hate drinking on an empty stomach. Yeah. But, so, food can slow the absorption of alcohol so that you don't feel the effects so intensely, but it doesn't prevent them. Uh, The scary thing about that is, is that one might end up drinking more than they would have because they weren't feeling drunk right away, which is something that, uh, I'm sorry, how do you say her name? Julia. Julia might have done, like they might have eaten dinner and then gone out. Could be. And so she was able to handle much more alcohol than she normally would have, but then really wasn't handling it any better than she would have. She was just having a slower reaction. Man, Vomit and you'll feel better. False. (laughs) Do not purge. uh and think you can rejoin the party or drive your car. Puke and rally. Yeah. Once you take your first sip, your body immediately starts to absorb the alcohol. So all you're going, all you're doing is throwing up any of the liquid in your stomach. So yeah, you may feel better because you're less full, but you're still drunk, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, sleep will help. That's also false. Unfortunately, sleep may help pass the time faster, but it's takes 10 hours to fully metabolize five drinks So, because, remember, it's like two hours for every mm-hmm. drink. So there's a good chance you still might not be able to drive when you wake up depending on how much you actually drink. Oh, That's in like 10 hours.
0: That's like the people that pull over on the side of the road to like sleep it off. But then like when you wake up, you are,
1: you're you're still, still drunk. Yeah, That's not long enough. If anything, enough. it's like people feel maybe a little bit more alert, mm-hmm. but you could still have some other problems. If you're going to
0: pull over to sleep it off, pull over and call an Uber and go home. Yeah. You can get that car later. hmm You can be okay.
1: Absolutely. That was my last one. Those are good.
0: That's a lot of good information to have. Thank you. You're welcome. So, as we mentioned, the discovery of Julia's blood alcohol level, which was quite high, kind of tipped the police investigation towards drunk driving incident and a little away from possible homicide. Because if you look at her original autopsy report, like when— because the, the autopsy happened, like, right away. They had the body. It says the cause is possible homicide suspicious death. So that's why it was in there. Like, the cops did originally go with that. And then for some reason, they changed. Could be because all those kids had cop relatives. <laughs> Could be because of a lot of things. Yeah, it says, subject deceased, struck by a car, possibly between the car and the guardrail. That's, like, the original report. So they're like sitting on this. They're waiting for labs because some labs take a long time to come back in. They're analyzing evidence. The case is just kind of like stalling. And then a break comes in the case. Ooh. Four months after the, the death, murder, whatever we're calling it, a woman named Ember Stafford goes to the police and says she witnessed Julia's murder. Yeah, I know. Ember claims that she saw Julia get into an argument at the NIP with a group of people. She then got into her car, and the group she was arguing with got into another car. The second car chased Jalea and ran her off the road. The group was two, I think they were white girls, and one black male, which is like exactly the group of people. Amber was then brought in to take a polygraph. The cops were like, okay, if you know all this, like, specific information, you have to take a polygraph. And she failed it. Okay. But we've talked about polygraphs in the past. Are they accurate 100% of the time? Absolutely not. But they are a good indication of what's going on. But as it turned out, she was lying like a whole lot. and none of that timeline makes sense nope, anyway. It's not the same as what anybody else said. And it doesn't make sense with the phone calls with her sister. And it doesn't make sense with any of it. So she she admits to having, having like not seen anything. She, she then like says she knew Nicole Wooten. Remember the girl yep. that – can take a hit to the head with a bottle. Yeah. And that she, like, saw her at the nipping queue and she, like, tries to rope other people in. Chances are she knew these people possibly on Facebook and concocted her own version of it. But the police immediately charge Ember with filing a false police report. Oh, So Ember is also, like, a single mother and she's got, like, a rough life. And I would think under a lot of circumstances she would be... Kind of slapped on the wrist. She did a stupid thing, and she inconvenienced the police, and she cost them a lot of time. This is like a first offense, but they threw the book at her, and she was sentenced to a full six months in jail. So they gave her jail time,
1: but none of these other people. Yes,
0: ma'am. They gave her the full arm of the law. And she had made up a story. And I'm not saying what she did was okay. It most certainly was not. It was probably some kind of angle to be able to sell her story eventually. She probably wanted to make money off it. She probably thought maybe she could get some sense of celebrity. I don't know. And maybe this woman has like a sad life. She obviously does have a sad life, actually. And like there was even her her lawyer... Even lobbied to be give, to give her, um before they sentenced her, to give her her sentence um, like where she would be under house arrest five days a week and then in the weekends she would go to jail because she was the sole provider for her household and like her kids had nothing else. And the judge
1: was still like, no, fuck that girl. Six months in jail the whole time. Maybe they just had to nip that kind of, um nip that in the bud like so nobody else came with false, false Maybe. claims. Maybe. It
0: just seems so severe. It seem,
1: yeah, it's very severe.
0: I think it was also like, don't fuck with this case and the police in this town, or we will put you in jail.
1: Yeah. Because they were cops, kids. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, and then I could be wrong. Listen, oh, yeah, that's these are true, because they were, because she was basically pushing the narrative yeah, that Yeah, she was saying that her.
0: those three kids would have just straight up murdered Jalea. Them. Yeah. Okay. And they were extremely intolerant of that.
1: Oh, gosh, this case is so hard. It's tough. And also, like, you it's have so to be intolerant of
0: false accusations of murder. That's awful. Yes. I
1: totally get that. Anybody, they should do that. It just, to me, seems very severe. Like, th- what they should have done, what what I think would have normally happened is them scare her yeah. into thinking that that's what was going to happen to her, but then be like, okay, you could be, like, on house arrest.
0: Or, like, here's a few weeks of jail time yeah. and a hefty fine, or you have to go to counseling, or you have to, like— no, it was straight up go to jail for six months, which also ruins your life.
1: It does, yeah. You
0: can't get hired. She probably lost her kids. That's a lot. And she, mm-hmm. she did something wrong. I, I'm not going to discredit that, but like, holy shit, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. After that, um, they started getting reports back on the car. So we're going to talk about the car a little bit here. And this is so complicated. Evidence that someone else had been in the car with her supposedly, they would have been able to glean this from the car's, I don't know how else to refer to this. It's like a black box like an airplane has Mm -hmm. where it records everything the sensors record in your car. So it records when the airbags are off and on by the weighted sensors in the seats. You know when somebody is in the car, what seats they're in. It's supposed to know how fast you're going. It's supposed to know when your airbags deploy. It's supposed to know all of those things. So they analyze this black box and they say that the sensor for the passenger seat was never on. Like the airbag was, sensor was never triggered. Just the, the driver's side and only the side impact on the driver's side, not the front impact airbag was deployed. Now, that seems wrong, but it isn't. Apparently, the first airbag that deploys in a crash is your side impact airbag because most of the time somebody's coming in from the side. But also, the Carfax report on Julia's car said that in 2010, I think it might have been a previous owner because a Carfax is like everybody. The car was in an accident where it collided with a deer and the airbags did not deploy. Okay. So that led Kim to believe that there was an issue with the airbag sensors, Mm -hmm. which there could have been.
1: And you looked up the airbag sensors on the Kia. I did. So in 2006 to 2008, Kia Optimas and 2007 to 2008, Kia Rondos were recalled for a faulty clock spring assembly in the driver's frontal airbag okay. that, could, that could cause the airbag not to inflate and it crashed. But that was on the driver's frontal side, and her 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 front airbag did not deploy. Like there, was, right? That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, and there was a grand total of one hundred and forty five thousand seven hundred and fifty five models that were affected by the recall. Okay, I mean, but they could have affected both, especially with the other driver. So yeah. you never know. She could have had like a weird defunct car for both of
0: them, mm-hmm. and um, also because, like you said, the car had like a previous collision that affected mm-hmm. the sensors and and. Admittedly, if they said it affected the front end of the car, mm-hmm. they just
1: I mean, they didn't really go into it that much. Yeah. I will say I have been in two big car accidents with my with one of my cars, mm-hmm. and there wasn't anything wrong with the airbags, but they didn't deploy. But okay. I had a, I had a crash that would have been probably similar to like hitting a deer mm-hmm. and they didn't deploy. So I think you just, sometimes you have to, cause sometimes you could just tap a car and if you yeah. hit it in the right spot, they just go off. I was
0: in one major car accident and the airbags did go off and I was burnt to shit by them. Yeah. It, the airbags are like packed in with a shotgun shell. Oh. So you get, I got, I had burns all over my chest from oh, yeah. the airbag.
1: The airbag injury
0: was the worst thing I had. Yeah.
1: And I'm so short that I was terrified the one time that, like, had that deployed. Yeah. I would have, it would have been broken.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I was fucked up from the airbag going off. Mm -hmm. I had, like, whiplash issues. I had burns all over me. I had, like, burns from the seatbelt. It was car accidents are awful. There are a couple other interesting things with the car. First of all, when the car was taken in, the police took it to, like, whatever lot they put it in, and they didn't cover it. Oh. They just, like, left it open okay. to the point where Kim bought a car cover and went and put it on the car Hmm. to not, like, tamper with the crime scene. She was like, this is a a crime scene. There's, like, my daughter's brains are on this car. You need to protect it against the elements. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit suspicious to Kim. Also, they we did a lot of, like, DNA swab tests on the car, and they did find, because Kim really, truly believes that somebody else was in that car. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame her. There's a lot of evidence that there could have been, but they did find a second DNA profile on the car's shifter. Okay. So somebody else's hand had touched it. But here's the super fucked up part. On the lab report, it says on the bottom that they recommend that anyone who could have been in that car be DNA tested. They DNA tested no one. I think that's the most wild Isn't that crazy? They didn't swab a single person. It's a cheek swab. It takes nothing. They tested absolutely nobody. And they had that information. You can read these documents. They're all on the Justice Virgilia page. So obviously, you're going to see that and go like, well, who was that? Who was in that car? Who touched the mm-hmm. gear shift? Like, that could give us information. Nope. They did nothing with it at all. There's other curious things too, like Julia's body showed airbag residue on, like, the side of her head, like, in her hair and stuff. So, like I said, it's, like, packed in with a shotgun shell, so you will have, like, mm-hmm. gum powdery-type residue or whatever on you. And they found that, but they didn't find a single piece of glass. And she apparently went through a window.
1: I know. That's what I found strange. The
0: passenger side window is apparently what she went through and is totally broken, not a glass fragment in her hair. Not. Also, That window was tested, and not a single fiber of Julia's clothing or a single strand of her hair was left on the window. The window she was thrown through. Didn't snag even a fiber of her clothing or one of her hairs.
1: Is it definite that she was thrown through the window, or is that a speculation that that's how she got out of it? That's speculation. So it could have also been that somebody broke the window and pulled her out.
0: Or that, or that they just
1: broke the window yeah. and opened the door and took her out.
0: They didn't even, the door didn't even open. All the doors were locked when they found the car. That's true, yeah. She could have been out of the car and been killed out, out of the car, and then the window was broken subsequently in another way. Okay. Right, because there's, there's none of her DNA on that broken window anywhere. Also— The blood on the guardrail is not on the outside of the guardrail. It's not on the side that faces the road. It's on the side that faces, like, the other direction. Oh, So if there's, like, a support beam and then, like, guardrail, and then, you know what I mean? Like, there's, like, a little post and then rail and then a little post. On the post, it's on the side not facing the road. Hmm. So she would have had to, like, bent over backwards and her head hit it. Mm -hmm. It's all, like, very weird and awkward. So that's most of the evidence. If I sat here and gave you— Every single bit of evidence, we'd have, like, a 15-part. And you wouldn't feel any better. You wouldn't. You wouldn't feel a single bit better whatsoever. So I'm going to give you the theory that the cops, cooked that they mm-hmm. developed after reviewing all this evidence. They think that Jalea had a fight with Kristen. I think we can all agree that that happened. It's yes. in every report. And called Toby. After the call, she Jalea got her keys back. As soon as Kristen and the others left, she put the keys in the ignition and drove away, called Tobby, asking her to pick her up somewhere a little bit closer to home. Julia was extremely drunk and then called a third time simply because she was upset. Like you make a lot of phone calls when you're drunk. People drunk dial, there's a reason that's a phrase. You have to say things. And after she got off the phone, they think that she dropped something, possibly her phone. And then, because remember the dome light was on. And then she turned on the dome light And went to look for Mm -hmm. the thing she dropped, taking one hand off the wheel and her eyes off the road Mm -hmm. and bent over. In doing this, the car veered into, like, the other lane and hit the guardrail. At this point, her side airbag would have deployed because we say that's, like, the first airbag to go off. Mm -hmm. And the force of the airbag threw Julia through the passenger window.
1: And if she was already kind of bent over... Yeah,
0: so she... It would have, like...
1: Or would it have gone over her head if she's bent over? Well, but she probably... I mean, probably when she hit it, she, like, moved back up. So she
0: hit the guardrail, and then what would happen is the airbag would then rocket her out along with the impact and break the window, and she would be tossed out of the car. And it is confirmed with the sensors in the car that Julia was not wearing a seatbelt. Okay. She was thrown through the car window, and then her head ricocheted briefly between the car and the guardrail. So it like bounced, which I don't know how it got on that outside part of the guardrail. Wouldn't it be on the inside? I don't know. Why would it be on the other side from where the car impact was? I don't know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So anyway, they say that it hit twice between the car and the guardrail and the second impact is what killed her. Okay. And we're going to be thankful for that because it means that when she was tossed into the road, she was already dead. Okay we don't want her to have been alive so when she got how tossed, did in the she road.
1: Get tossed into the road this
0: is what kills me they okay. say after she ricocheted off the guardrail she was tossed over the roof of her car that's a lot hit the roof then hit the trunk then hit the road then once she got into the road a car hit her and drug her into the passing lane and then she was hit by trucks okay But the other thing that kills me is as she bounced off the guardrail, remember she hit the guardrail twice Uh and then is dragged and pulled over top of the car. As that is happening, the guardrail catches her clothes somehow and just neatly neatly drags (laughs) them off and lays them out. That, yeah. (sighs) Then as I said, she bounces off the still coasting car, hits the roof in the trunk and lands in the middle of the road. The car then coasts because the keys are still in the ignition and it's on, so it's going to move a little bit coasts, and it's like a downhill type thing, mm-hmm. uh, about three quarters of a mile until it, it makes c- enough contact with the guardrail that it is forced to stop. Authorities, after they come up with this theory, then deem her case a single drunk driving incident, and they close her case. I just don't think that's enough answers. Right. I don't know. It, the thing that gets me is the clothing. Impact specialists have gone on to say that this is entirely possible and that clothing often behaves very strangely in accidents. It can be pulled off. It is left in ways that you would not expect it to be left. Impact does weird things to people. But really, I personally, I, I just don't buy it. I've seen the pictures of this. Clo- it, does, it really looks as though a human placed it there. And the stacking, bra, then shirt, then jacket. Yeah, I mean, I... The bra wasn't inside the shirt; it was there, and then the shirt was there, and then the right.
1: Because so it wasn't like it was slipped off her. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I know. Isn't that crazy? I don't right? No, Holly. I don't know either. I think that someone, whether it was someone who murdered Jalea, or just an onlooker who discovered her and then didn't want to admit their involvement, perhaps saw the scene and was like, "Oh no," and like started picking things up, and then was like, "I can't be involved in this," and then left.
1: Right, or even was just like, I can't tamper with the scene, and then just didn't mention that they did something. Exactly.
0: They were like, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But, but I feel like that was done by human hands. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Of course I could be wrong. I'm not an expert. It's just what my brain tends to mm-hmm. go to. Now, onto to what her family thinks. They think that what happened was Kristen drove Julia's car away that night. Which makes total sense because if she didn't want her to drive drunk and took the keys then they, and they had a huge argument, like, yeah, it makes sense that your friend will be driving you home. She'd be like, no, just get in the car. I will drive you. Mm-hmm. Or I will drive you to the gas station. That's fine. You can leave your car there. Toby will be there. And somebody will get me and come home. Just don't, just don't drive. They think that while the two of them were in the car together, they had a huge argument maybe about that boy. There's also theories from her family that this was planned, that Kristen got in the car with the intention of killing her. Either way, they say that while they're driving down the highway, they think the car was going like 70 miles an hour, but conveniently, the car's black box did not report that. Okay. The speed wasn't there, which Mm -hmm. makes no sense. But she was driving at highway speeds. And they say that either she threw Julia out of the car or during the course of the argument, Julia got out of the car. Mm -hmm. And then Kristen rammed her off the road and against the guardrail, like her just as a person walking around. So she just slammed against her. And then once she had made impact, Kristen got out of the car and walked away and let the car coast. Or she pulled the car back a little bit, made that acceleration mark to leave, and then got out of the car when she saw it coasting in the other direction. Because remember, they photographed an acceleration mark. The family did. The police didn't. The police don't have it anywhere in the reports. They don't even say it was there. But... If you look at the pictures, which you guys all should, and I'll have some in our photo suite this week, obviously there is a tire mark. I don't know why it was there, but it's undeniable it was there. There are also theories that Julia was was beaten up. She was physically like somebody beat her up. They think that maybe Freddie was there with Kristen and he beat her up and took her clothes off mm-hmm. and stacked him. None of them are as linear as the police's theory because, of course, that's the police's job. So mm-hmm. they're going to be good at that. But there is a lot of undeniable and unexplained evidence, like the DNA on the shifter that didn't belong to Julia, the airbag residue in her hair, which leads us to believe that maybe she was in the car for the initial impact and then got out. Maybe they hit the guardrail arguing, she got out, and then Kristen rammed her into the guardrail. There are so many options. And the police for a while went with the theory that Julia had been out of the car and then hit by her own car.
1: The only issue I have, though, is that if Kristen was in the car and she... She would have only gotten in the car if she was the one driving. She mm-hmm. wouldn't have gotten in there if she was the passenger. Absolutely. But then she should have had she should have looked pretty beat up with the, with the airbag, right? Her uh, I guess was it was the
0: it was driver's side airbag. Or then another theory would be that she, like she had the intention of murdering her. She let her drive and, you know, grab the wheel in a way that there was an initial impact. Then Julia got out of the car, and then she hit her against the guardrail. There are so many options. And I'm not saying Kristen did this, not whatsoever. Maybe she is completely innocent. We don't know. We truly don't know. But there are just unlimited options because it feels as though it has not been explored fully enough to rule certain things out. Mm -hmm. And then there's this weird matter of Julia's keychain. She had like a big ring of keys. Like her car keys were big. And she had a keychain. On there, that was um, her initial that Toby had given her, I think, for her birthday or for Christmas. So it was, like, special. It was important to her. And it was, like, really nice. It was probably one of those, like, silver jobs or something. Mm -hmm. And the keychain was not present on the keys when they found them in the ignition. Okay. But then they found
1: that Kristen had the keychain. So that could make sense if Kristen had taken the keys... And maybe there was like a, you know, maybe she put them on hers. That's not
0: how Kristen explains it, though. She says that while they were at the house, before they left, Julia said that she had too many keys on her ring, and she didn't need all of them. So she just took off the car key. Just like
1: such a drunk person's Uh thing to like have a conversation about.
0: (laughs) Well, no, I was like, yeah, well, yeah, if she was drunk then. And she was like, this is too big, because she only carried a wristlet with her. She didn't have like a full bag. A wristlet's like the tiny little wallet purse you carry on your wrist. So you couldn't fit a big ring of keys in there. There's no Mm -hmm. way. So she just took off her car key and she left the rest at Kristen's house. That makes 100%. Which does make sense. I would do that. But then huh, what throws a monkey wrench in that is that at the nipping queue that night, there are pictures of Julia with that keychain. Oh. So then now they find that Kristen has it through other people reporting it and, and I guess pictures of it or something. And Kim Davis is like, we want that keychain back. It was very special to our daughter. Why do you still have it? And the cops were like, we're not going to get that from her. We don't need to. The case is closed.
1: Oh, that's weird.
0: Yeah. So then eventually, after the investigation is totally closed, because I guess there were still some open ends or whatever, Kristen's attorney brings it back to the family. And they are like, why didn't you give it to us right away? Why did you wait until the investigation was closed and there was nothing we could do with this before you gave it back to us?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what were the events that led to you having it? Because there are holes in your argument. And it was never explained. I'm
1: frustrated.
0: I'm so frustrated. There are a lot of, like I said, there are so many rumors. There are all the statements that Nicole Wooten made. Her statements are wild. There's, I don't, I don't know. Kim believes that Nicole was involved in the conspiracy to kill her daughter. She believes there was a conspiracy between her, Kristen Bechtold, and Freddie Scott, where they were angry with Julia. They There was some sort of jealousy issue, and they wanted her dead. And so they conspired this event to kill her and make it look like a drunk driving accident. It's it's just, everything is so hard to judge. Then three years after the case has been closed, Kristen Bechtold went on Facebook claiming that Kim Davis has been stalking and harassing her. And Kristen Bechtold threatened legal action for liable, which would have kind of worked in Kim Davis's favor because the police would then have to have investigated all of Kim's statements. Because if they're liable... The police have to see if they're lies, but Kristen never pressed charges. Mm. In the end, I can't possibly make a statement on what I think happened, and usually you and I can both form an opinion, and we're pretty good at saying this is how I think it went down. I can't here.
1: Yeah. There's too many loose ends for us to make a solid mm-hmm. opinion as to it being the kids that yeah. killed her. But I will, I will say this. I
0: understand what Kim Davis is doing. Yeah. I would be furious too. I would want the truth more than anything in the world. I would, I would be questioning every single thing that came out. I would be doing what she's doing. I, I get it. There are answers she doesn't have that she deserves. And I mean, like I said, are these kids guilty? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But are there... Probably more pieces to the story than they've admitted. Also, probably.
1: Mm-hmm. Wild wow, case, so
0: much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know this was like a brain stretcher to research. Yeah. Go, um, and guys, go to the Justice for Julia Facebook page. Read the documents for yourself. Let's talk about it. A hundred percent. This is when we need to have a discussion about. Yeah. If you know anything about this case or anybody you know could possibly know anything about this case, please, please, please contact Kim Davis on the Justice for Julia Facebook page. She is there. She is listening. She deserves answers, and you should give them to her. I will, re- I will uh, link a few of her interviews and the Investigation Discovery episode. I don't think I can link it because it's like a subscription-type thing, like you have to have Prime or— oh, Okay. But I will let you guys know if you have the stuff, how you can watch it. Well,
1: thank you, Holly. Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> toast toast um that truck driver yes oh
0: my goodness to that (laughs) truck driver he did all of the right things he was so traumatized and was so remorseful and so kind way way to be like the best reacting citizen i think we've ever had yeah that's great Mm -hmm. he's great so cheers to the truck driver also, cheers to Kim and Toby, yep. Julia's surviving family, and, like, all of her surviving family members. I cannot imagine what they have been through. It is
1: awful. It is an actual nightmare. And so normally you're not on the scene right away for that. No. And they they had deserve, to be- like,
0: God, the whole world. Someone make it so they win the lottery. Not that they'll ever bring their child back, but they deserve something <sighs> for everything they've been through. So cheers to them. Cheers. When we have— Patrons? We
1: do. This week. We Tell have dos. <gasps> two patrons. Tell us about them. Who are they? Well, we have Janine W., who is a wonderful hairdresser. Oh, Janine W., we love you. Yes, Thank yes. you. Cheers to Janine. Cheers to Janine. And we also have, and I apologize if I say your name wrong, but it's Nathifa. Sure. Yes. She's wonderful. Yeah. Great what? chess player. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's making yeah. that right up. Yeah. Well, we love you. We hope you are enjoying our podcast. Please tell us how to pronounce your name if we did it incorrectly. We do not like to do that to our people. No, not at all. We're big on That's pronunciation. Beautiful name.
1: It is a beautiful name. A-T-H-I-F-A. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Give us a little little like phonetics or a little little audio clip and let us know. We'll say it, we'll say it right next time if we didn't say it right this yes. time. <laughs> we love you and thank you for your support. Thank you for being a fiend. Yes. And if we thought the worst would never happen, and that home was always just a phone call away, we would be dead.
1: Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. (laughs) Oh, Binksy. God bless you, Binks. This isn't going to pick
0: up the cat sneezes, though, right?